Carol here with Like a Sponge, the podcast about the science of how kids learn and flourish. And this episode gets at something summed up by that inane acronym, YOLO. You only live once. I know, I know. It's the idiotic justification for teens doing idiotic things, like binge drinking or snorting Tide Pods. But from another angle, if we all lived with this sense of clarity that whatever we have in this life will not last, that we need to appreciate it, it would probably influence everything we do. The moments that we come to terms with this simple truth, it's easy to feel, well, grateful. I remember like a man from our family came running. Um, they put us in the van and um, pressed us to the floor of the van. And I still remember, you know, as we were driving through the streets and hearing the gunshots and until we reached another place, another town. That's Yusuf Abdi, recalling the night his family fled their home in Mogadishu, Somalia. A night that would change his life forever. The beginning of a journey of dislocation and loss. The middle son of 10 children, Yusuf ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya, where his family spent five difficult years. It was very hard um, for us in the camp. Um, there was not a lot of stuff to do. There's no school to attend. There's no jobs for our parents. Living conditions in the camp were harsh. There wasn't enough food or medicine, and diseases spread quickly. And Yusuf recalls how powerless his parents were. When a father or refugee, you know, in a refugee camp, or a mother in a refugee camp, when the child cries in the middle of the night, there's nothing they can do about it. Over the years, we lost um, five of our siblings in the camp. But when Yusuf was 12, something good happened. The family learned they'd been accepted as refugees to the United States. A woman from an organization that helps refugees get settled met the family at the airport. She takes them to their new home, a little town in northern Minnesota called Pelican Rapids. Uh, it's about three hours away from the metro area, from the Minneapolis St. Paul area. It's about a little over an hour uh, from Fargo. And in the middle of like nowhere, there's only two stoplights and there's you know, a little over 2,200 people that live in this small community. On that cold stretch of highway, Heading to a rural town after growing up in a refugee camp and a marathon plane trip around the world, Yusuf notices the American woman who picked them up. Her kindness makes a big impression on him. He feels a sense of appreciation. And as the days unfold in Pelican Rapids, that feeling comes back. On the first day of school... I remember going to my first classroom. Uh, I walked in um, and I was like, I was looking around, and some of the students were uh, looking at me, and some of them were smiling. So I would smile back, and that's a very universal sign for anyone. Thinking back to those first months, he remembers that smile and many other kindnesses from his new neighbors. Like the time a few community members noticed the new immigrant kids were playing pickup soccer games, and they formed a new youth league. They came over and reached out and said, you know, should we start a soccer league? And bless their heart, they were really amazing. They started a soccer league in the summer for us. We would travel neighboring towns and compete against uh, other teams. And that woman, whose job it was to help Yusuf's family feel welcome, she really did her job. Her name was Diane King, and she became Yusuf's role model. 
When he was in eighth grade, he started volunteering as an interpreter for the organization where she worked, Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota. He went to grad school, returned to this organization, and today he's the senior director for refugee services. He oversees refugee settlement statewide, helping newcomers find homes, jobs, a winter coat, dealing with the things he and his family found hardest when they arrived. I'm very grateful um, as far as, you know, the opportunities that I was given, because I think I can imagine, you know, where I would have been um, before I came to this country and, you know, uh, where my life would have taken me. This sense of gratitude has supercharged his life in a way that mirrors what the science says about this powerful emotion. Despite the misfortunes, the loss, attention to what was good in his life fueled his actions, even as a child. First, it motivated him to follow in the woman's footsteps, the woman who he felt so much gratitude for. Then it guided him to go back and give to the small town that gave him so much. Gratitude is about uh, strengthening existing relationships and building new high-quality relationships. That's Giacomo Bono, a psychology professor at Cal State Dominguez Hills and one of the world's experts on youth and gratitude. He says youth who practice gratitude end up building resilience because it allows them to form relationships with adults who can help and support them. All theories of resilience have at their very core the need to have a high-quality relationship with at least one adult outside the home. You know, being grateful is is like armor because it keeps in mind the fact that you're not alone and that you're supported and part of a caring community. And a lot of times when we're isolated and feeling anxious, you know, those are the things that can sort of break down our mental health. And, And so gratitude directly also helps us feel loved and connected rather than alone. Yusuf's story is one of those quintessentially American fables where the American dream comes true. But Yusuf could have just as easily have been that kid who felt incredibly alienated. A childhood spent in a refugee camp, then coming of age in frostbitten rural America. But despite all the loss, the awareness of difference, Yusuf made the most of his good fortune. A deep appreciation of how different life could have been, and an abiding sense of gratitude to the people who've helped him fueled his motivation to go to college, work hard, and be the best person he can be. But what about the children who are already born into the American dream? The ones who have so very much, because they're growing up in the richest country in the world in an era of stuff. I want the works. I want the whole works. Presents and prizes and sweets and surprises of all shapes and sizes. And now, don't care. I want it now. Materialism is deeply ingrained in our culture. In America, the average household has more TVs than people. We have 3% of the children in the world, and we buy 40% of the toys. Unboxing videos are one of the most popular genres on YouTube. You know, the videos of kids opening new toys. We spend more money on shoes, jewelry, and watches than we do on higher education. What message is all this relentless overconsumption sending our kids? 
And how many times have you wished your kids were grateful for what they have instead of wanting something they don't? Turns out worrying about materialism isn't a trivial matter. Research has found that materialistic people are less happy than their peers. They experience fewer positive emotions and are less satisfied with life. They suffer higher levels of anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. The insidious desire for more, whether it's stuff or status or the trappings of a lifestyle we aspire to, well, it's like a disease. But research also points to the cure. Studies show that when gratitude goes up, materialism goes down. In fact, gratitude has been linked to a host of benefits. Grateful people are happier. They sleep better. They have stronger immune systems. They live longer and have better social relationships. Grateful kids and teenagers tend to be more engaged in their schoolwork and get better grades. And they're more satisfied with their lives. I found that, um, you know, in a study from last year in the Journal of Positive Psychology, what we found was that over a four-year period, uh, so throughout high school, the teenagers who grew more gratitude, they also were more likely to be kind to others. Uh, they also showed decreases in more antisocial, you know, impulsive behaviors. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Most of us teach our kids to say thank you or write thank you notes or acknowledge under some duress they're lucky by global standards. But that's not the same thing as gratitude. Saying thank you or writing a thank you note is what researchers call pro-social behavior. We do it to be polite, to smooth social relations, to be considered a good person. But saying thank you and feeling grateful are actually pretty different things. Often parents really focus on the behaviors, what kids do to show gratitude, but we really want to motivate what kids do by having an experience of gratitude. That's Andrea Hussung, a psychologist at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She and her colleagues observed parents and their kids together and found that parents spend a lot of time teaching their kids good manners, but far fewer encourage their kids to experience gratitude, which is a little more complicated. Hussung has broken down the experience of gratitude into four parts. The four components we talk about are notice, think, feel, and do. So we might be aware that um, my aunt gave me a sweater that's got butterflies on it, and that's something I really like. And then I might think, you know, she remembered. I really liked that. And it makes me feel good and loved. And those things together then might make me want to act on that and show her I appreciate it. Hassan says gratitude isn't something we're just born with, and it doesn't happen by accident. It takes practice. She developed a set of questions for parents to ask their kids based on the notice, think, feel, do model. It takes about five minutes, and you can do it any time you see an opportunity to go beyond just telling your child, say thank you. It might be when your child receives a gift or a friend does something nice. What have you been given or what do you already have in your life that you are grateful for? I have recently got AirPods. Is there a gift behind the gift that you're grateful for? Like someone thinking or caring about you enough to give you the gift? Yes, because my parents love me and I really like music. 
Why do you think I love the idea of instilling a sense of gratitude, but probing my kids to feel appreciation often seems like, well, sort of a guilt trip. We wanted to know, what does this look like with a real family? So one Sunday afternoon, we headed to a bungalow in East Oakland to meet Sarah and her children and hear about a beloved cousin who made them a friendship bracelet. Do you remember the friendship bracelet that Rosa made for Noah? Yeah. That's Sarah and her son Noah and daughter recalling a special gift from their cousin Rosa. And she made it herself? Mm -hmm. Gradually, Sarah asks them about the gift behind the gift. How long did it take? How hard is it to make a friendship bracelet? And I'm trying to make one. It looks like a And then she shifts towards what Rosa was trying to communicate with the gift. Did that make it more special, knowing that she had spent time making it for you? Yeah. Yeah? Why do you think she made it for you guys? Mm. Because she really loves you guys? She Mm -hmm. really likes you? And gradually she gets there. From how cool the gift was, to the effort, to the message, the feelings. And by the end, both kids are sort of smiling and squirming with sheer appreciation for having a person like Rosa in their life. Mm-hmm. I, I say that she's the best thing in the world. Hassong did a study using this protocol and found the more parents made an effort to cultivate gratitude in their kids on a particular day, the more their kids showed gratitude that day. She says it really helps for parents to break it down into parts for kids and raise their awareness about those parts. Hassong says what might seem obvious for us adults, for young kids, is far from a natural line of reasoning. For little kids, the world is magical and nonsensical, and your child may not see the causal relationships between other people's love and extra effort and the good things that rain down in their lives. But they can think it through and get there. And getting to this mindset of appreciation is step one, two, and three in building a practice. Notice, think, feel. The fourth step is do. Acting on your feelings of gratitude. Making sure the people you appreciate get the message. When you show other people you appreciate them, whether through words, favors, gifts, it builds relationships. And for young people who are just building their lives, developing strong relationships helps in every area of their development. They build emotional support for when hardship hits. They find mentors. They maintain close relationships with family. And it's in the doing that researcher Giacomo Bono sees gratitude's exponential power to influence a life. Most people agree that it's something valuable to do (laughs) and to have, (laughs) right? Uh, But it really, the magic comes in uh, with the practice of it. Uh, What I'm finding in my own work is that the interpersonal part uh, is, is especially important, right? Building those relationships and practicing gratitude by sharing it with others uh, and maybe even reflecting on the role of others in our lives. Uh, how do other people help us get through challenges? And how do other people help us better understand uh, how to reach goals or what our goals might even be? It's not just wandering around with a sense of gratitude alone that makes you happier or more resilient. It's that it makes you behave differently in the world, build your relationships differently. If I could give you like the simplest sort of global um, uh, statement about the value of gratitude in life, 
uh, is that it is it is born of love and it helps promote love towards others so that we can make contribution to society. Being grateful may not come automatically to us mortals. We lose sight of our blessings. We grow inured to all the little things our mothers did, the lessons our teachers took pains to teach us, the kindness of strangers. Is it any wonder our kids do the same? But here's the thing. According to the research, it's one of the most growable of virtues. Actively practicing gratitude actually changes how grateful we are. So figuring out how to sprinkle it into the rituals of everyday life is worth the effort. And if you have teens, the eye-rolling. You can just say what you're grateful for before dinner. You don't need to wait for Thanksgiving. Sarah Reese taped her family before dinner one night. Okay, guys, so what are we thankful for today? I, today, was grateful to spend time with my youngest daughter, Naomi, and my youngest son, Levi, at Costco today. Okay. Okay, Noah. Okay, Noah, and you can go next. I was thankful for my dinner because I was really hungry. What about you, Hannah? I'm thankful for the cereal that we had today at breakfast. I've decided to be happy. I've decided to be glad. I've decided to be grateful for all I ever had. Special cereal, a trip to Costco, and lots of love. Gratitude isn't about having a perfect life about just noticing the crunch between your teeth at breakfast and that regular trip to the supermarket made into a mad adventure with your toddlers. That's it for another episode of Like a Sponge. Special thanks to Yusuf Abdi for sharing his story and for Peter Samuelson of Lutheran Social Services of Minnesota who introduced us. Thank you to Andrea Hassong and Giacomo Bono for unpacking your research and spreading attitudes of gratitude. Thank you to the Scarborough clan, Sarah, Aaron, Noah, Levy, Naomi, and Hannah. Thank you to the other parents who shared their gratitude practices, Jean and Asher and Keisha, Azaria, Aman, and Amina. Loads of appreciation to Mariam Abdullah and our dear partners in character at the Greater Good Science Center. Thank you to Rich Lerner, Tufts Professor, and our advisor on this project.